I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up. Now I'm a social media editor, photographer, friend of Ben Hanani. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sharon Atia. Sharon graduated from New York University in 2017, where she studied photojournalism and gender studies. She is currently the social media editor for the Gender Initiative of the New York Times. In addition to Instagram, she works on large editorial projects at the Times, like This Is 18, a stunning look at teenage girlhood around the world which came out as a book in 2019. She was also the chief researcher and social director of Feminist Fight Club, a best-selling book by Jessica Bennett. She was born and raised in Los Angeles and spends her free time in search of really good tacos. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Sharon. Hi. Hi. I feel like we should have added to my bio that we were each other's, like I was your prom date. You were? This yeah. is true. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Back in uh, 2013. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. TBT. TBT. What a throwback. <laughs> um, so we always begin with current curiosities. Love it. So mine right now is TikTok, which I'm excited to talk to you about as that a social sense. media as guru. A millennial, as a millennial, you want to yes. understand the Gen Z trend. This is what's crazy is like there is a 15-year-old right now who has 15 million people following her and she's doing dance moves that suddenly catch on like wildfire. Yeah. Like, and a lot of Instagram stories are now originating from TikTok. Totally. T Twitter, too. Twitter, too. And I'm just thinking about, like, this is very interesting. I'm curious how it distinguishes itself from Vine. Because mm -hmm. right now it seems very similar to Vine. Totally. And Vine was, like, so big and then so quickly just died, I feel mm -hmm. like. So I'm curious how this platform is going to change and what its potential is beyond just teenagers making dance videos. Totally. Um, couple things. Yes. First, I feel like it's like it, it's sort of like indicative of like your curiosity that you just said like teenagers just making dance videos because like the just is really important. Like teenagers are the creators of content. And like I feel like we kind of don't give them a lot of credit for being that. Um, and so it absolutely makes sense that TikTok is doing so well because everyone cares like what teens are doing. It's like your dad wants to know the new TikTok dance. I mean, I don't know if he actually does, but I, be I bet he Not does. yet, soon. Yeah, soon. Yeah. It's funny because at work, we're always like, everyone's like, what's the new platform that we can reach our audience yeah. on? And it's been really interesting in social media like meetings when people are like, should we be doing something on TikTok? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't think currently, just quite yet, the New York yeah. Times should be on TikTok because that's not what TikTok is. What was your question? I feel no, it was, just, it was just a curiosity. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, there's no question. Yeah, it's just no, like I'm, I'm just it's, fascinated by I, it's it. It's totally fascinating. And it's also one of those things where I'm not on TikTok. Like I yeah. have it obviously and yeah. I like scroll through. Sure. But I'm not producing TikTok original content. Right. And I feel like it sort of dates me, you know? I'm like, oh, I'm the youngest person in the office. I'm the social media star. You're the oldest one on TikTok. Just kidding. I would never <laughs> say I'm the social media star. I'm just like making a joke. But... I'm, I don't do You're TikTok. like, step aside, Michael Barbaro. Yeah. I'm the social media star. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, TikTok's really cool. I think it'll be interesting to see like how it goes into the mainstream culture and how like brands sort of try to exploit right. it as a platform. Um, because right now what you're getting is, yeah, a lot of similarities to Vine, right? Like people are making these really well-edited sketch videos and yes you have the dance videos which is sort of like dub smash meets musically meets right it's a lot of these things that we knew were successful and so i think it's just sort of a new iteration of it something that was really interesting but i think is they've changed it now when you used to be on tiktok my um really good friend she's a reporter for wired so she writes about like you know, technology, yeah. culture. Um, it used to be that when you scrolled through TikTok, you didn't see the time, you know, like on the top of your phone, how like yeah. you see like battery lifetime. Sure. You didn't see time because like, oh, wow. So you wouldn't know how long you were scrolling through it. And it sort of to me was like crazy. I was like, like TikTok transcends time. Like there is no, like you could go down a yeah. dark hole. 
but that's like a online casino like yeah, casinos yeah, notoriously absolutely. don't she put, totally made that comparison don't put it's, clocks, it's yeah. like a casino um but i thought that was crazy but i think they changed it now because yeah. there is time on tiktok yeah um but that was crazy is that not a requirement for apps like you can you like shut out have no idea wow okay absolutely no clue yeah um, but also like it's another really interesting thing about TikTok is that it's like a Chinese app. And yeah. so there was a lot of questions recently, you know, like, I mean, people are like, what information are they gathering about yeah. people? X, Y, Z. I don't know. I feel like yeah. we'll find out. We'll find soon out. Enough. Some, some good tech reporter yeah. will let us know. I'm just basically curious when the New York Times, like, I'm very curious to see as TikTok progresses, like when it gets to a point where someone, where an entity like the New York Times starts using it. Yeah. That to me is like, okay, then they've actually transcended a barrier. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. Like definitely conversations are being made and yeah. there are people who are in charge of social media that keep being like, I'm obsessed with TikTok. Should we get on TikTok? Yeah. But then like a gazillion other things happen and the news cycle is what it is. And, yeah. you know, we sleep on TikTok. But um, I think it'll come. I think yeah. it'll come for sure. Like, Snapchat, we saw what happened with Snapchat. It literally started off as a personal private DM photo exchange, right. nudes, etc. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's truly what <laughs> what it was like known for in the beginning. Um and then we saw like that they made Snapchat discover. And so right. brands and especially news organizations could tell the news, they could deliver it in a way that felt organic to the platform and to the audience on Snapchat. You know, it yeah. became something different. Instagram then kind of killed Snapchat with Instagram stories. Right. Um, and then we also see brands on Instagram and brands on Instagram that are doing Instagram in a really good way, like in an interesting way. Good. I mean, like creative. It's like people are engaging with it. Well, um, any specifically that stand out to you? Yeah, <laughs> I should have like come prepared. No, it's okay. Um, I'll start off by saying my own account. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At um, NYT gender. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, I think to me, less like I'm going to like list right now a bunch of accounts, more so the accounts that feel like they're not forcing themselves onto the platform. They're not like, oh, we should be. I don't think any brand or any person should be on all of the platforms just because they exist. Like if even like if you are a clothing store, you shouldn't be on Twitter if you have nothing to put on Twitter that is organic and native to Twitter. So like. I just promoting just for promotion's sake to me is unwise yeah. and also unsuccessful. Like we've seen that people don't engage with it. It feels forced. And so like if you're going to be on Instagram as a brand, what is it? Like I want to know that you're giving me enough yeah. information that I can consume on Instagram. Like I didn't, you didn't just like force something that you had on your website onto Instagram. Right. And also, like, the users are smart. Like, no, you're not fooling us when we're scrolling through Instagram and you're, like, just, like, pushing stuff on, you know? Like, <sighs> drives me crazy. This so is, that's why, I like... This is all free advice, anyone, for anyone, who, a brand who's working on their social media right now. Yeah, yeah. I think, like... So that's, like, a thing also with TikTok. Like, don't be on TikTok just because all the teams are, teens are on TikTok and yeah. you want to reach those teens as a yeah. brand. Yeah. They'll know. They're smart. Right. They're on the platform. Um, yeah. Awesome. So what's uh, what's got like you rant curious about like brands? <laughs> I know. I opened up Pandora's media. box. I was like, wow, good question. Um, do you have seven hours? Yeah. Um, what's my current curiosity? Yes. Okay. So sort of late to the party, but I just watched the first season of True Detective. Oh with, like, my Woody Harrison god! And Matthew yes. Honey. Yes. Crazy. Crazy. Absolutely nuts. Had to watch three episodes. Harrowing. Harrowing. Yeah. Gripping. Um, this is like a review. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my current curiosity is just a review. Um, of a show that came out three or four years you know, ago. Came out, I think I looked it up. It's like 2014 or something oh, that it came yeah, out. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because like... Because they've done different... Yeah. And then every season is yes. like a different cast. It's like an anthology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ben I, well, writes in I remember. <laughs> I remember... It's like an anthology. Well, the, here's the thing. Like, is I watched season one probably in three days because yeah. I had... I had job interview to be an assistant to nick pizzolato who's like yeah i saw his name in the uh, tour behind him whatever <laughs> so he uh i had an interview to uh, to be an assistant for him and uh, so i just binged the show before like in the three days before and it was so harrowing so gripping and by that point season two was already out so this would have been a gig for season three so i watched season one totally gripped and then season two was set in la or like the greater la okay, area cool 
and it wasn't nearly as ominous for me because I grew up in LA. So yeah. when I'm seeing these shots, I'm like, oh, you're just on PCH right now. Right. <laughs> like, New Orleans was so creepy. Yeah. Like it was the perfect setting right. for murders. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is so scary. I've never seen this. And then LA, it's like, dude, just exit. Just yeah. exit. <laughs> you know? You're like, okay, so they're at in and yeah, out. Just go to the Palisades. <laughs> just just get off the freeway. They're like driving in yeah. ways that actually don't make sense. I love yeah. that on LA shows. You're like, you absolutely could not have gone off at the Well, the, the famous one is from there. Pretty Woman, right? Or is it Pretty Woman or another one? Oh, where Clueless. Clueless, uh, Clueless. That's the one uh, where they're on. You don't take PCH back from the airport. Oh, actually. Or am I thinking of a different no, movie? Okay. I mean, wow. Maybe there are a lot of mistakes I think there's another with, one. Like, movies that I hold near and dear to my heart. But with Clueless, she's like having an existential moment. Yeah. And she's like walking around Beverly Hills. And she walks by the witch's house on... Um, What's the street where we used to like throw shaving cream in Halloween? Something Walden. with a W. Walden. Yeah. And then she's like suddenly. I didn't throw shaving cream. Just for the record. <laughs> that was not me. Okay. Well, a lot of people in our, what was that? Middle school used yeah, to middle do school, that. Yeah. Um, it was really mean when they would throw Nair. Yeah, crazy. Nair or eggs sometimes. Wow. Rough. Yeah. Um, I wasn't one of those hooligans no. either. <laughs> I mean, I did go. Yeah. Um, but I didn't throw. Um, a rhyme. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So she's like walking through Walden and then suddenly she's like by the Santa Monica Fountain. And then suddenly she's like on Rodeo Drive and then she's like near the Beverly Center. And it's like this whole. I respect how in the Californian sketches on SNL, they actually do the directions properly. Absolutely. Wait, what? No, they don't. They don't. I thought they did. Oh, my God. They're like, Stuart, why did you get home? I could do the whole sketch. But I feel like they just say random shit. Like they're like. No, but it tracks. Really? Listen next time. It tracks. I guess because they they get to a level of absurdity that just doesn't Or maybe I'm too sleepy and it just sounds right enough. No, honestly, like that. But I think it tracks from like the couple times I remember. That's really funny. To me, that almost seems like. I kind of hate that it tracks because like the the writer's room is in New York. And I'm like, why do you know? I remember when they were like, I got off on the 405 and then I had Coenga. And like (laughs) my friend was like, are they making up streets? I'm like, no, Coenga is a real street. (laughs) That one was real. Um, So anyway, back to True Detective season one, which you just saw. We just went on a whole tangent. Okay. Crazy. First of all, the show, but tying it back to like curiosity, because I'm not just about to talk about a show that was really interesting. There are so many things you have to be good at to be a detective. Like just baffling. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready? I like my friend and I were making a list as we watched yeah. it. Also, Matthew McConaughey's character is brilliant. Yeah. And I found out that it was during the reconnaissance. Mac- m- reconnaissance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Peak. Um, okay. So you have to have like an acute understanding for like legal documents, which like sort of makes sense because you're in the legal force, yeah. but like, you know how to read tax documents and right. like surveys and suddenly you can find someone off of, a, like it's just crazy to me. Like you're like, oh, I went back into the administrative records of a school that no longer exists and the, like, and what? Crazy. And then two, you have to be like a psychologist when you're interviewing them in those rooms and also an expert manipulator, which like is kind of, you know, scary. And then also just a whole other stuff. Like you have to be a chemist that is like, oh, in their body. They f- I'm like, what? Okay. I don't, this isn't like really a well, I'm just curious about it. I like what a detective been. does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I if there's a detective who's like, we don't do any of that. We just- <laughs> yeah. So it's actually a bunch of paperwork. Yeah. That's yeah. also too, you have to yeah. like clerical work. Yeah. That's a skill. So yeah. So yeah. I'm curious about true crime. True crime. Which feels like I'm also really late to that party because they enter like 700 true crime podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah, but true crime, I think what it is, is I'm always like, oh, I don't like scary. Right. And then it's it's scary, but it's more like gripping, harrowing. Yeah, psychological. Psychological. Yeah. So now that we've gone on all these awesome tangents. <laughs> so many tangents. I'll bring, it, I'll bring it back to your amazing work. <laughs> We're going to like include links to <laughs> yeah. like all the The show notes will be like a novel for this. Um, okay, so I want to talk about your amazing work at the New York Times and how did you even find yourself at the New York Times? That's a good question, yeah. Um, so how back should I go when I was six? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Um, I learned to read. Yeah. Um, no. So in college, um, I was really fortunate in that I kind of unintentionally found a mentor who's still my mentor. And so basically I was just like any college student sort of looking for like interesting internships, like opportunities. And a friend of mine forwarded an email that her cousin had sent her where someone was looking for like a research assistant, a social media person, sort of just like a jack of all trades um, to help with a book. 
that person was Jessica Bennett, who is my mentor, <laughs> um, and she wrote Feminist Fight Club. So this is my junior year of college, and I sort of just go to her apartment and we interview, and I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in feminism. I and she and she's a um, journalist. She's been a journalist for like yeah. over ten years, and like obviously I had like read all of her articles before I like went to her apartment. And I was like, I like that article you wrote two years ago. Like super nervous. Um, but yeah, I basically started off what I thought was going to be a semester stint. I was just going to do some like research for her. Like the book is basically, let me give some background. The book is called Feminist Fight Club and it's basically a survival guide to navigating a sexist workplace. So it's like part manifesto, part manual, part memoir. And, um, Jess basically takes you through like a lot of the tripwires, microaggressions, landmines that women experience, the unique challenges women experience in the workplace. And it's a bit tongue in cheek. Like there's a lot of humor there, but she's offering like tangible tactics to combating those things. So like how to fight a man interrupter because women are interrupted twice as more than men are in meetings, like how to get credit for your work, X, Y, Z, you know. And it's, and it's fun um, in their illustrations and flowcharts and feminist cocktails. And so I worked with her on that for a semester. And then she asked me to stay on with her in the book launch. And now the book's been translated into 11 languages. We don't actually do the translations, but I just love having all the different copies because they're so cute. Um, but yeah, so I launched the social media for Feminist Fight Club. And so what was really interesting and hats off to Jess for even thinking about this. This was her first book, but she sort of already knew that book publishing doesn't know how to market for shit. Like people aren't on books, aren't on Instagram. Right. And so we launched a feminist platform called like at feminist fight club. It still exists. I still run it. Um, and so we created a feminist space, right? Like, like, quote graphics like we were using the components of the book but we weren't saying that it was a book yet so you know like all of these like statistics these cute illustrations these um pro tips and we were just like putting them out there on instagram and twitter and facebook and then when like the book was announced we were like to like our thousands of followers surprise we're a book go buy it um also like we were lucky, whatever. We had a viral meme also in there. P shouts out to Pussy Grabs Back. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, after. of course. Um, yeah, <laughs> obviously, Ben, you remember that. <laughs> um, ben is on the nose. Oh, he's, yeah. on, he's, on, he's got a finger on a pulse. Um, but yeah, so we did Pussy Grabs Back, and then that went viral, and then that also helped, um, I hope, with book sales. And, and so she became my mentor, right? So sort of any project that she was working on, she was freelancing at the time, I would help like research articles. Um, she like brought me on. She was hired a lot of times as like a consulting editor on certain projects like Bumble, the dating app, wanted an editorial website. She was the consulting editor. They wanted a lot of like, <laughs> you know, like Tinder has one too. It's called Swipe Life. Like they, these okay. like dating apps, a lot of apps yeah. want websites with articles and so like I wrote some for that you know like she was always looking out for me and getting me jobs which, so do like, you have a byline on tinder right now not on tinder on bumble okay. okay um if they still have it I think it's like the website's called beehive or something yeah I have a few bylines there yeah they had a pop-up in LA a while ago yeah they're doing yeah. very well they yeah. also oh my god did you see they are wasn't the Lakers they're on they're sponsoring. yeah the Clippers the they, Clippers it's yeah the they're Clippers. on all the Clippers jerseys absolutely wild yeah. but yeah so basically Jess is my mentor. She's always looking out for me, kind of always giving me like jobs looking out. Um, and when I graduated college, I planned on traveling for 10 months. I like sold all my furniture, sent all my clothes back home to LA, got a backpack and I was like, cool, I'm starting at Mexico City. And my goal was to work my way down to Buenos Aires, which is like where I studied abroad. And I was like, I want to try living in Argentina again, but I want to like get there at my own pace. A month into my trip, um, Jess texted me and was like, hey, and she, I knew she was about to start as, sorry, context, as the first ever gender editor of the New York Times. Um, and this is fall of 2017. And she texts me and she's like, uh, you know, we were texting, we always keep in touch. She's like, oh, I'm about to start my job, blah, blah, blah. Then five days before she started, the Me Too story broke. Harvey Weinstein, Obviously, I don't have to tell you the significance. Spoiler of alert. Of that, <laughs> right. We're doing a lot of spoiler <laughs> alerts here of that moment. Yeah. Especially also like as the like first gender editor was about to start, right? So like also all eyes on the New York Times. What are we going to do for this major moment? 
And she had thought that when she was going to start her job, she would have some time to, you know, like just organizational stuff. Like what are we like, what are we going to do? What are our projects? And shit really hit the fan. And there was a lot of needs that needed to be met. And so she texted me and was like, Hey, can you call me? And I'm in Tulum. Um, <laughs> you know, just like doing what one does. Like I'm on the beach, reading a book, being lazy. And, um, she texts me and she's like, hypothetically, would you want to work with me at the times? And I thought she meant like do some freelance work. I had my laptop with me. I was doing freelance work as I was traveling. I was like, yeah, I have really good Wi-Fi in these hostels. Absolutely. And she said, no, I mean, back in New York as a real job, like there's a need for some, like I need a number two, not number, there, there was like an actual number two. She means like she needed me, like we'd worked together for two years. She's like, it's a lot of the stuff, like I don't have time to train someone else. Also, like she's my mentor, so she, you know, is looking out. Um, and she was like, I would love to frame the hire around you if you're interested. But she wasn't like come back from what you were excited about was going to be like almost a year long trip. And so I said, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, pros and cons. I'm on a beach in Mexico, but it seemed like a really good opportunity. So I was like, yes, absolutely. Would love to be considered. Let me know like where those conversations go. Also, there were like questions like they were maybe going to just hire internally. And so then like I'm not, I didn't work there already. So like then no problem. I would just go continue on my trip. Um, and then they did hire me and I needed to come back in the new year. So, um, cut the trip short. Um, it was four months. I got all the way down to Columbia and I flew back to New York and I started the next day. So you were originally working on feminist fight club. Yeah. You were the chief researcher. What did that entail? Like, what, what were you doing every day when you were going into the office or working on the book sure. or the project? Yeah. So no office actually like worked remote or worked out of Jess's apartment, which is just the best place to work in the whole world. It's just got like huge windows. She's in like this sick apartment in Brooklyn, plants everywhere, like, like a color coded library. Like it's just like a beautiful apartment. Um, I still like to work there with her sometimes. And so the research entailed basically the, like the footnotes of the book are like, over a hundred pages like there she because also she was coming into this book as a journalist and a reporter she knew that she was going to be held also people love to argue about gender disparity and like inequality and feminism right like every every person's gonna come at you with like that's not real the wage gap doesn't exist um, when you account for xyz it doesn't exist and it's well, actually, you're wrong, sir. Um, and so she wanted to basically not give anyone the opportunity to be like, that's incorrect. So the book is heavily researched, right? And so for every single um, challenge, tripwire that um, women face in the workplace, um, she backed it up with studies and research, right? So a lot of it was like going through like everything from like Harvard Business Review, you know, like things to reading like some really academic research papers, you know, like reading the abstracts, X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. And so like my, the fact that I was studying gender studies kind of made it so like, wasn't boring for me. I was like, wow, this is fascinating. The gender linguistics of, I mean, maybe other people would be like snooze. Um, and so what I helped with was, helping like research but also like making it accessible because ha like half of that shit was so boring and like truly gibberish like you don't know what they're saying and so like making it accessible giving it like I helped also with like the punch up like making it fun and funny because like we can talk about serious things like you know inequality prejudice and still like have a sense of humor about it I think also Jess her mindset was if like if there was no humor like I would just be really mad all yeah. the time right yeah. and also like humor is like a really inviting entry point for people so like if you're talking about serious matters and you're still bringing the stats the data and how to fix it but you're also like making a joke a little bit about like I don't know like the ridiculousness like the absurdity that there is still sexism in the workplace it it makes it more like it would be depressing to read a 350 page book about all the ways that it's like harder to be a woman at work. That just sucks, you know? Yeah. And so like when you throw in like 
funny like okay so like mothers or like women on their periods are like discriminated against or like you know like get passive aggressive comments stuff like that if you like make a joke about it we have like a flow chart about flow in the book <laughs> um and it like basically it's like is this woman on her period right like that's like the question yeah. that like you know ma- male bosses have asked and the next line on the flowchart is, are you her tampon? And then the next line is obviously no. And then it's like, then shut the fuck up. Like stuff like that, right? Where it's like, we're making a joke about these real serious things that happen. Yeah. There's also a flowchart I did. Um, it's my favorite. It's called May I Mansplain? And um, basically all like, it's like, are you an expert? Um, did she ask? It's this whole flowchart I made. And all of the arrows point down to, honestly, dude, probably not. Unless, like, she did ask for it and you're an expert and you're doing it nicely. And then there's, like, a little asterisk. And then, like, then do so in, like, a non-condescending and pedantic way. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, stuff like that. And so a lot of that, like, was really – it was really helpful also for shaping my major. I was in a program where I, like, created my own major And, like, just, like, the ways Jess taught me to, like, think about things, to take research and, like, okay, but, like, now what, right? Because you can't just present someone with a bunch of facts. That's also depressing, right? Like, here are all these statistics and good luck. Like, your ideas will be attributed to men. No, like, so, like, making things accessible but also, like, offering tangible solutions I really loved. Um... And also just like thinking about things in like a creative way, thinking about ways to make things like really inclusive, right? So like um, every part of the book, every one of the actually hardest things was when researching was so many of these studies were only done with like white women, white men. And so it's like, okay, well, we know that disproportionately any of these like prejudices and like microaggressions are affecting women of color more, right? But there was, it was so hard to find studies that had that like those data points right but we didn't want to leave it out so then it's a lot of like then just pointing out the fact that the data doesn't exist yet um yeah and so like I don't know like the lessons I learned because like in college I feel like when you do a research paper you're like okay I'll do the like required readings and I'll do like a light wikipedia you know and so she really taught me how um to research and I feel like that helped me like in how I think about stories um are there any resources in particular that you found really helpful? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I love, like, a LexisNexis, um, ProQuest. I think, like, I also, we really, really love archives. Old newspaper archives are hilarious. So funny. I mean, they were just, like, so overtly sexist in a way that is comical right it'll be like woman climbs fence that's a real new york times headline and it was this whole article about like how surprising it was that this woman climbed a fence because she needed to catch her train um but also also like uh they're one of our favorite there's so many headlines one of our favorites is like um manless dinner that was the headline and it's this Literally, it's an article about a dinner where there were no men and it was women talking about, um, it's called the Lucy Stone League. It was this, um, now I'm getting into like the deep cuts, but it was this like (laughs) feminist league that started in the 1920s for women who wanted to keep their name in marriage and like for signing contracts and documents um, named after Lucy Stone, who was an early suffragist, who was the first known American woman to keep her name in marriage. Um, but like the title of this real reported article was Manless Dinner, which I still think is an amazing name for a band. Um, and so, um, yeah, so just like honestly, just like looking for things, making things like, I don't know, relatable, making them interesting also for like a wider audience. Um, what was your process like once you had the information yeah. in terms of like creating the the flowcharts or the graphics, was it a collaboration where you and Jess would talk through it? Or was it more like you would brainstorm a bit, come to Jess with a first pass, go from there? Like, what did that process look like? Totally. Um, So a bit of both, right? So like Jess obviously had like a book proposal. Like she knew like all of these bases that she wanted to cover. Like she knew she was going to talk about women and money. She knew she was going to talk about like women and speaking because like women, how women talk is policed more than like anyone else um like so there I knew that there were gonna we knew that there were gonna be like there was so much content for me to deal with so I wasn't ever like pulling things out of thin air because there was even when we launched the Instagram account I never had to like look for things because 
it was going to be in the book, right? Like, right. and it was at the end of the day, an Instagram account that was taking the book and, and offering it to the audience on Instagram. Also, why was Instagram and like why also with New York Times gender was Instagram the number one platform? Because we know that women are on Instagram more than men. We also know that of all the social media platforms, Instagram is the most, it skews the most female. And so like when you're talking about anything that has to do with social media, right? I think it's like the most important thing is for it to be audience first because it is an audience driven account, right? And so when you're thinking about these things, you're trying to show up where people are. And so if we know that women are on Instagram, why wouldn't we go to Instagram? And why wouldn't we also like seek them out and, and provide um, kind of like content that didn't maybe exist, right? Like we were trying to be an account that offered tangible solutions, like statistics, facts, but in a way that like was visually pleasing and concise. And you could swipe up later and read the study or buy the book. Um, but you also like, I'm such a big proponent of like having it be on having enough information be on Instagram, right? Like you don't just like post a thing and then you're like link in bio. That's so, <laughs> oh my God, what's the, what's the word I want to use? You're so full of yourself to think that a person is scrolling through their newsfeed and they're going to go click on your, your, that's, you're asking, it's too high like an ask. Yeah. You're asking someone to be engaging organically in their newsfeed where it's not just about you. It's a curated feed based on things that they followed you're asking them then to click on your profile, click on the link in bio, and then from that link in bio, click, because most people aren't just putting the link in the bio, they're using like third party, um, right. you know, and then you click on then that thumbnail and then it takes you the link in bio. That's four asks to do a thing that you could have maybe shared some of in the caption. Um, that drives me crazy. But yeah, so like I think it was definitely a mixture. I think we also, there was a lot of experimenting, right? Like, we were both, it was our first time kind of launching an account like this. Jess has like a lot of expertise. Um, she's just really creative and like ha ha thought about visuals in really interesting ways. Like her book is also, there are like illustrations and she, you know, like was the creative director on her own book. And so um, that, that was really helpful. So it was a brainstorm, um, but we learned so much. So then when I came to the Times, there were all of these things I knew to be true about Instagram and I knew to be true because like I basically was like if I was able if we were both able to grow an account that was like the audience was primarily women they were primarily young which are basically demographics at the times it was trying and still is trying to better engage with I was like we did that with zero brand awareness. Now we're coming at it with the New York Times. I was like, boom, wow, the resources are going to be insane. This is going to be so easy because we know that there's a need for it. There's a desire for that, right? Like you're not just like, I don't know, like why would we create something that no one wants? And, and when I started and we decided that Instagram was going to be one of our strategies for better engaging a young international. Also, Instagram is 86% of Instagram users are outside the U.S., right? Which makes sense. Obviously, the world is very big. But like when we're in the U.S., we assume because it was a U.S. company that it's a U.S. app, 86% are international users. Wow. And so like, and, and so these markets at the times is obviously trying to better engage international readers, women, and young people. I was like, Instagram is screaming at us to create an account that focuses on those intersections. And there was a lot of pushback, I will say, um, mostly because up until we launched our account, the New York Times had only treated Instagram as a photojournalism account. So the only things that were ever posted on Instagram were photographs. They were pretty evergreen, meaning like they weren't pegged to news. You know, these like beautiful like photo stories that like you could post about a week after the fact and you're not like, wow, late. Um, and so certain things that we knew, we were like people want, people love like quote graphics. People love information in the visual, in the visual, because like asking someone to read the caption is another level of engagement. There are like, you have, if you're looking at engagement as a funnel, you have so many, right? You have like the view, the like, like an interaction, either a like or a comment, the follow, the share. And so every single one means there are more engaged user than, you know, before. And so we were like quote graphics where you have text on an image 
they work so well. Hello, that's what memes are. They're text and visuals together. Um, and they work so well because people feel like they got a lot of information like in a square. People love that. People love feeling like they knew what was going on in a quick, I mean, I'm sure you scroll through Instagram yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah. You're just like boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. So if you like boom and you scrolled over a stat, you're like, wow, awesome. Yeah, especially the way you guys make it. It's not, it's very clean, easy to read. So when I do go and stop, I'm like, oh, Thanks. oh, hold on. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, it's not just like, because you, I, I've seen other brands that will, will include quote graphics or whatever, but if it's really, if it's a really busy image, oh, you still gosh. scroll past it, Absolutely. but you've done it in a very clean way that stands out from the rest of a feed. Thank you. And yeah. like hats off, you know, like we obviously worked with like art directors, um, but yeah, so there was a lot of pushback on basically integrating any type of visual that wasn't like New York Times original photography because it hasn't been done before. Right. And, you know, like I feel like any big media, co any big company is like, well, why do we need to change that right now? Um, and so, yeah, but a diversity of media like in visuals, like within your account um, does really well also like just certain rules that like I knew to be true from like my experience but I felt like I had to almost prove and then I could prove my point and now also like the times does do quote cards and stat cards on the main accounts and on the other sub accounts and I mean I think that sort of was when I felt like we had finally like really succeeded because I was like oh you said you would never that is and awesome now you are um, I mean, also like, it's not like I didn't know they were doing it. I'm in yeah. those meetings, um, with those accounts, but, um, yeah. So like even things like we have like really cool illustrations that New York times opinion does. And there are also like, sometimes the photographs that accompany a piece don't tell the story, right? Like the, there's a, a really powerful quote. There's a really powerful statistic. Um, I think that like Instagram used to be obviously when it launched early days it was a photography account that's what it was it was i mean technically actually it was a filter account it was a, an account where you take a photo and you put a filter and you post it um and it's not that anymore people go to instagram for their news in the same way they go to twitter or facebook for their news and so if you're not responding to breaking news on instagram because you think like the feed isn't chronological enough for that to be relevant you're doing something wrong because we know that breaking news performs well on Instagram. And we also know that people are on Instagram just based on like their habits, the hours of their day. Of course they want to be receiving breaking news there. That I've seen done really well with, there's an account called House of Highlights. Yeah, House of Highlights does a good job with that. That was totally. just a dude who was posting, originally just posting clips of sports that like stood out or like yeah. little things in the background. Yeah, yeah, that you my brother have, follows. You might have glossed totally. over. And he has this huge following huge. now. And that's how I that's how I learn about most of my sports stories, yeah. especially in basketball. Like I'll I'll track the Lakers stuff on my right. own, but the other stuff is it's a really it's a really concise, easy way to get that information. Right, totally. Because like you know, you have a job, you yeah. have like a girlfriend, you have things yeah. to do. You're not like now like watching clips from every single game right. on your own. And so for someone to curate that for you, that's someone who saw a need, knew an audience existed because they were that audience, and then. Right executed really well yeah um yeah <laughs> before we get into the fun questions i want to totally. talk about hashtag 30 days of women which was an initiative you came up with right yeah yeah, yeah. And it was so cool because i saw your byline i like the <laughs> digital page i was like oh my god that's so cool <laughs> Thanks, so, so tell me about how you got that idea and then once you have an idea for an initiative like that what is what are the steps to making it a reality totally um so obviously just also given our like climate Women's History Month, like everyone's like, what are we doing for Women's History Month? Like it's a mark, you know what I mean? Same with like Black History Month. Like people are like, oh, this is when we're going to relegate all of our like women's content. Um, brands do it now too. I'm sure you see like in March suddenly like, I don't even know, like everything from like Chevy to Lululemon, they're like doing something with women and you're like, wow, it's great to be a trend. <laughs> for um, one twelfth of the yeah, year. Right? Yeah. Um, but so of course being the gender initiative, um, we were like, we want to do something for Women's History Month. Now, also 
most of the time we end up launching major projects in March because like a good peg is a good peg. Like it's going to work well. Um, so like for example, Overlooked, which was a project that um, we launched in um, March of 2018 to write the obituaries of um, remarkable women who never got them but short, but should have. Now it's expanded and it's also um, men of color. Um, basically back it's all it's all relevant hold on yeah. um so basically we had done research and um it became clear that in its since 1851 when the times um launched and started writing obituaries um obits were 80 percent male and of those that 80 percent almost all were white men and these remarkable women who like definitely should have gotten an obituary didn't. And why was that? And could we write them now? And so like women that you would be shocked didn't get an obituary, like Sylvia Plath, Ida B. Wells, these huge, like they made huge impacts on society, right? Which is like how that's the benchmark for whether or not you get an obit, like what inedible, not inedible, uh, indelible indelible <laughs> that came out wrong inedible, inedible. um <laughs> marks did you leave on society right. right and so overlooked was launched in on women's history month in 2018 and just that peg was amazing and so and with this is 18 we launched it on international day of the girl which is october 11th and so for this last women's history month we didn't have like a huge project and i was like what if we do something native to instagram which is something i've been wanting to do for a while like content that originates and is literally coming from instagram like most of almost everything else i post was an article right and then i'm posting it on our platform and then you can go to the link in bio and read the article i was like what if i give people enough information in the post, right? And these were then I was using like overlooked obituaries. I was using other articles we had written, but like they'd never been grouped together. And I was like, what if for 30 days I highlighted a woman who did something amazing, but you really wouldn't know her. Like, it's not like she was like the first pilot. Like, you know what I mean? Not these like, not that Sylvia Plath didn't leave an amazing impact, but like people know who Sylvia Plath right. is. But like an 80 year old tiger trainer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love her. Um, her name? Um, her name was... Why am I blanking? Mabel Lee, I think. Yeah. Sorry, it's I'm been a year almost. So like I forgot. I just remember her story was so fascinating. Amazing. She had 700 stitches yeah, so from she getting was, mauled. So she <laughs> was a tiger trainer um, and she loved tigers and she was really small. And she had... and she Mabel Stark, Mabel right? Mabel Stark, Mabel yeah. Stark. Um, oh my God, Mabel Lee is a suffragist and I was just deep in suffrage work um, for the centennial um, recently. That's so funny. Um, yeah, like you have this like woman who was a tiger trainer until she was 80 years old or, you know, um, a woman, an Iranian, an Iranian painter who like painted about like sexuality and stuff in a regime that that was illegal. Uh, like these women who like did remarkable things, right? Like the motorcycle queen of Miami, this woman who I absolutely love, um, who was riding motorcycles across the Jim Crow South when like women weren't riding motorcycles. It was like in the fifties. And also like women were like in the home and she was like, I don't want that life. And she got a Harley and just left and set off. And people used to know her route and like would like sit, people would like wait for her and like yeah. clap. It was insane. And so I like wanted to highlight these women. And so, you know, casually just created a little hashtag just for ourselves. Um, and I posted every day and I thought nothing of it. Like I was like, I'm just going to keep this on Instagram. And then on the NYT gender account. Yeah. And I actually also did a version of it on Feminist Fight Club. I did 31 days of FFC where I highlighted a female collective or like girl gang group of women from history. You might not have known, but should because we also have like so many um, of the that research. Um, and it got like some attention from like jess's boss like my boss's boss um jody rudoran who was a really big editor at the times she was like this is really cool like are we are we going to publish this on site and i was like well i didn't really think that we should publish it on site because i'm like these were all like piecemeal like i mean i did also do some i did pull some original but i was like i don't know i just like i was only thinking about instagram and she was like no i think it would do really well and so we like i you know, I did a truncated version of it on site and they also um, did a version of it for print, um, which is like is cool, but I kind of don't care about print because I'm digital. Hello. 
it's 29. Oh my God, it's 2020. 2020. I almost said it's 2019. <laughs> in this economy. Yeah. So that was really cool because it was also like a lot of work to write a caption about a person's life in like one graph. You know, you don't want to do, you don't want to write so much that people won't read it. It's boring. Not that their life is boring, but like people yeah. get bored on Instagram reading text. Um, we just like know that. And yeah, it was, it was really cool. Like it was just something I wanted to do because I thought it was important. And then Jess was like, that is important. And then it was cool that then we also published it on site and it did well. That's amazing. I feel like I've learned so much about gender, about social media. I've just gotten <laughs> this amazing learning lesson today and I'm so thankful. Thank you for yeah, having me. Of course. And before we end, I always like to ask some fun questions. Love, so, love, to, love to have fun. Yes. Because this has not been, Absolutely. this has been okay. This, this has, has been, been okay. okay. Now here comes the fun stuff. <laughs> here comes the fun stuff. What's something you can't travel without? Hmm. Okay. The obvious answer is like my camera. Yeah. But um, I feel like the, another one is my like Nalgene, my reusable water bottle. Um, and the joke with my friends is not for me to drink water, but for them to drink water. Because I famously hate drinking water, but I always carry with me a liter water bottle and it's always full. And it's heavy, you know, but I sort of just feel like it's like my cross to bear. Like <laughs> I don't drink water, but I carry it around. So altruistic. of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the last gift you received? Um, a surprise trip to Joshua Tree with my best friends. One of whom flew in from Israel, right? Yeah. Just a yeah. surprise. It's amazing. Absolutely crazy. I don't deserve them. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Um, scroll through Instagram and my news alerts. Yeah. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? Oh, my God. Okay. This is... Does it have to be one that's actually real? No. Or can it be like... No, anything. Just... Yeah. Whatever. Impossible. Yeah. Okay. So since I was a kid, I love <laughs> I do this thing where I like blink my eyes when I want to take like a mental picture, right? Because I don't have a camera and also like I was nerdy. Um, but it would be so cool if I could blink my eyes and it actually would take a picture and then I don't have a camera. It'd be crazy because there's so many times where I see something and I'm like, blink. You guys don't see me, but I'm blinking. Um, You'd want a slightly longer blink though. Otherwise, you're taking photos of everything unless you want photos of everything. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, so my brain yeah. would like send something to a receptor <laughs> and it would know, it would like, know which ones to now save. Now I'm okay. taking a photo. <laughs> right, right. That's actually a really good point, but no, no, no. The, the, the technology is cutting edge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then before I ask the signature final question, because you're from New York and because you search for good tacos, yeah. can you tell us just real quick, Favorite taco spot, favorite pizza spot, favorite bagel spot in New York. Okay. So I will say that um, it was tough finding good Mexican food in New York (laughs) coming from L.A. So I'll start first with best pizza. Um, Joe's Pizza is my absolute favorite. It's also like one of the most famous pizza places. I'm not like telling you a deep cut, but like true and true, my favorite pizza place. If anyone says artichokes is New York pizza, I rule them off as a person in my life forever. I think it's trash. Um, and yeah, that should, artichoke, sorry, artichoke, artichoke pizza sorry. <laughs> sponsored by artichoke. like you're losing advertisements. Yeah. Um, but Joe's pizza is my favorite pizza. Favorite bagel. It used to be Murray's bagel because when I went to NYU, I lived in the West village, but now, um, honestly, like, like so many bagels are good. Like Frankel's has a good bagel. Um, what else has a good I feel bagel? You recommended Tompkins, oh, Tompkins Square, Square a while ago. Yeah. Wow. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Tompkins Square is my favorite bagel place. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. Yeah. Um, I just don't live in the East village anymore. So it's like a little bit of a truck. Um, but yeah, Tompkins is the best, um, worth the line, best tacos in New York. So one, I will say, um, my sister and brother-in-law's apartment because he's Mexican and makes the best freaking tacos in the world. He makes like amazing fish tacos and enchiladas. But, um, like even something that's like, they're just solid. Otto's tacos is pretty good. There's really good Mexican food in Sunset Park, um, which is in Brooklyn, um, they have like a big like Mexican population. And so like it's like solid tacos. But when I go to Sunset Park, I actually go and I have sopes because I can't find sopes anywhere else outside of L.A. And there's also a really good taco truck off the Bedford stop in Williamsburg on Brooklyn. And it's confusing because there are two taco trucks on opposite sides of the corner. And one is significantly better than the other. But I don't know their names. I just know what the truck looks like. So get a taco from both. Yeah, and you get be a taco the judge. From both and you, you figure it out. <laughs> And then before we ask the signature question, 
Actually, we'll ask the signature question first. Okay. What's your jam, as in sung? Because we're going to create a Spotify playlist of all our guest recommendations. I love that. I wish you hadn't said as in song so that I could have been like boysenberry like, and then like you would strawberry. Have, yeah. <laughs> like, you who's would have that just had by? to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What's my current jam? Yeah. So let me think about this. My best friend uh, makes amazing playlists. And so I just, I don't even look for music anymore. I just listen to her playlist until she sends me another one. I really like the song right now called Low Tide by Drama, I think. It's really good. Um, it's like very chill. Like it's been my like LA vibe. Um, but I also love uh, Never Go Back by Dennis Lloyd. I'm going to plug that because he's Israeli. Okay. And so am I um, for, for those fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You got two uh, jams today. Yeah, two jams. Two you jams. have to put both. You listen and you pick. <laughs> okay. And then there was so much more that I wanted to get to. So I'll just plug now and people can can check out on their own. We didn't get a chance to talk about the Working Women's Handbook. Mm-hmm. But that's a super great resource. Can you just give us the quick blurb on the women? Yeah, the quick women's blurb. Handbook? So the Working Women's Handbook is a series of guides that we launched um, this May or June. Um, and each one is a guide in the New York Times um, with um, how advice from experts, sorry, on how to navigate the challenges of the workplace. So similar to Feminist Fight Club, but like the New York Times did it and, you know, it's less funny and more serious, um, but still like an amazing tool. So like how to negotiate a salary, how to overcome imposter syndrome, how to overcome the motherhood penalty, um, stuff like that, how to pick yourself up after a failure. Um, and so it, it's by, written by experts and provides like really awesome advice. And that's online at the New York Times that's website. That's online, yes. Cool. And then com slash working women. Perfect. And then the other one that we didn't get a chance to talk about today, but people should definitely check out Campus Consent. Yeah. Campus Consent is really cool. That was one of actually the first big projects I worked on at the Times. It was in the wake of um, sort of these Me Too stories that were a little bit more complicated, like Aziz Ansari and Babe.net, where um, they were actually opening up more questions about consent and these gray areas, right? Because like we didn't have a way, there's no language to talk about like, okay, if it's not rape or sexual assault explicitly in the legal terms but it's also not great like it's not maybe just a bad date what is it how do we talk about it and so we put out a call out for students around the world to share these stories about this gray area of consent um, and hundreds of students replied and we worked with like a brilliant design team to come up with a way to share these stories and it's really cool it um kind of appears like like texts or tweets and then you can like expand them and open them up into more um and um yeah the whole project is purely student voices like the new york times doesn't editorialize at all um so see it for yourself it's really cool that's nytimes.com slash campus consent love a vanity url Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, if people are interested in following you and your work, where can they do that? Um, you can follow at NYT Gender and at Feminist Fight Club. Uh, you could also follow me personally, I guess, um, at Sharoni Macaroni with two eyes at the end um, because one eye was taken. <laughs> <laughs> Sharoni Macaroni with one eye. Congratulations on getting there first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I like considered one time DMing them and being like, is this really your brand? Because yeah. it should be mine. <laughs> Amazing. And if you'd like to follow the pod, you can do that at HDYD pod. We could have gone on for so much longer. There were so many cool things that you've worked on, but we'll have, you, yeah, we'll have you come back later and talk. I would more love about that. that. I would love that. Thank you so much, Ron. Thanks Appreciate everyone. <laughs>